Anyway, I appreciate God's people. I'd rather be with God's people. I made a decision a long time ago, and uh, somebody said, well, you've come, you've come a little bit too late trying to convince me of anything else or pull me into a different group. I love old-time Christians and old-time churches and old-time worship. And uh, I, by the grace of God, don't want to be a part of anything else. Um, I'm not a part of a movement. I'm a part of a church, right? <laughs> Independent as you can be. Now, we'll turn in our Bibles and look quickly at First Peter chapter number 4. And we had been in Romans chapter number 12. Just to kind of catch back up here a little bit, we have been dealing with the walk of the Christian, the way to conduct, the works that must continue, the washing of the conscience, and we stopped in 1 Peter 4 on the warfare that must be considered. And uh, we started out in verse 1 to arm your mind, arrest your members in verse 2, verse 4, and take the Messiah. And then by verse 7, he begins to talk about the uh, gifts. And uh, we'll start there about in verse number 7. But to act from the manifold. We are to live and work and do what we do for God based upon the ability in which he's given us. We're not to do anything in the power of the flesh. Right? Is what I'm getting at. Uh, God um, has given each and every one of us gifts. And the biggest gift he's given to all of us is the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. And we're to walk and live and act according to that rule and that mind. And so um, he begins to, in verse number, uh, si uh, well, verse number seven. Let's just start in verse seven. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Now, we have dealt quite extensively with that and talking about how that's like a Band-Aid. This is not cover up. This isn't a CIA operation that a lot of independent Baptist churches have operated in. Uh, we don't operate in that lie. We are not of the dark. We're of the day, and uh, we, we operate in ourselves to the conscience of every man, uh, providing thing, things honest, the Bible said, in the sight not only of God, but of men also. And so we don't cover up. A person that covers up sin shall not prosper, uh, but he that confesses and forsakes. And so we dealt with that, but there's a great need in our churches, seeing the multitude of sins in our day. For the love of the Christian uh, and the love of God's people uh, to uh, be a band-aid in covering uh, those uh, wounds that do take place. Verse number 9, using hospitality one to another, without grudging. And we know that word grudging there is without murmuring, without complaining. Uh, so this is not something we should be doing and uh, um, being regretful of everything that we're doing. And, uh, you know, well, I had to go visit so-and-so and, -so and uh, it cost me $10 in gas and I could have been doing something else today. And that's not how we're supposed to be here. We're supposed to just use hospitality be glad to do it and not complaining about it. And so uh, wouldn't it be something? Look at all that God's done for us. If anybody had right to complain about anything, uh, it would be God complaining about his unprofitable servants. So uh, he does not do that. Thank the Lord for that. And so verse number 10, as every man have, have received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so in verse number 11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, that literally 
It's the oracles of God there. Remember, what advantage does it be to Jew? He said uh, mainly unto them were committed the oracles of God. Uh, that literally means the utterances of God. The words, literally the words of God. And uh, so when we speak, we should speak not uh, from, uh, like Paul said, he said, I, I did not use the wisdom of men's words, right? Uh, when I preach the gospel to you, I use no trickery. I use no flattering words, he said. I use no guile. I just spoke the truth and sincerity. And uh, that's what we need to do. There's nothing fancy that I need to do up here tonight. Just give you the truth. That's what I need. I, I, as a preacher, I'm not supposed to flatter you with words, and I'm not supposed to put it out to you in a way that you'll accept it. My job is just to make sure that you get it, right? And just give you the Word of God. My opinion doesn't mean very much. I know um, as a pastor, your opinion would be valued to a degree, but what matters most of all is not anybody's opinion of the Word of God, but what the Word of God says. What thus saith the Lord? When those prophets went out in the Old Testament, they didn't go out and what thus saith so-and-so. They went out and said, what thus saith God? And uh, that's what is going to help people uh, to feed them the word of God. And so if any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. See, our praise is not of men, but of God. And so if our purpose is to bring glory to God, uh, then we just need to do what we have been given the ability to do. See, that verse said, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. So don't get discouraged in thinking, I don't have any gifts, I don't have the ability to do anything. Uh, there's a Greek word for that, and it's baloney, uh, as one man said. And uh, so that's just not so. God's given you gifts, he's uh, given you abilities uh, in which to operate in those gifts. And if you're not using them to bring glory to God, you're in sin. Amen. You're out of the will of God. Um, God didn't uh, give uh, young ladies a good voice to sing and to bring praises to the Lord uh, for them to hit the streets of Nashville uh, and sing about uh, drinking and, uh, you know, all those other kind of songs and uh, be a country music star, right? God uh, give you young ladies the ability to sing. He wants you to bring glory to Him with that beautiful voice. Uh, and if you don't use it, you'll lose it. But you say, well, my voice is not that good. It doesn't matter what you think about your gift, and it does not matter what you think about your ability in which you exercise it. Uh, you just need to do it as God's given you the ability to do it, right? And have a heart to do that. And so that's what he's trying to give us uh, um, the, the understanding here as we consider this warfare. Uh, the next part... Um, that we have as we are considering the warfare. We looked from acting from the manifold, dealing with those uh, graces. We went to Romans 12 and began to look at the different uh, uh, things that are said there, how we should first submit our bodies, and we'll find out what God wants us to don't get it backwards. Um, you know, uh, what we have to do first is be obedient and willing and have an empty vessel there for God to fill with abilities according to what He wants done and His purposes, right? And so don't get the cart before Say, well, God, if you'll tell me what you want me to do first, then I'll make a decision whether or not I want to do it. You are backwards, right? You don't, you don't do that. You just say, God, here I am. Use me as however you want to use me. You want to put me on the mission field? Put me on the mission field. You want me to 
bathrooms of the church house, then I'll clean the bathrooms of the church house. And I believe, I believe that about with all of my heart. Uh, to get some light and direction in your life to the will of God, you'll first have to be submissive and willing in your heart before you'll ever be given the light uh, that God wants to give you concerning his will. Then you may prove what is that good. Right? And he goes on to talk about that there. And so we're going to, that kind of ends that portion of scripture and talking about acting from the manifold. And we're going to move on. Uh, At the end of those verses, he deals with the gifts of prophecy, ministry, serving, teaching, exhorting, giving, ruling, and mercy. You can look back over those in verse 6 and 7 of Romans 12. But back in 1 Peter 4, uh, we stopped here in verse number 11, uh, that all things may, uh, that, excuse me, that God. God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praised and dominion forever and ever. And he ends with a big hearty amen. And so that's biblical, right? Amen's biblical to say. It's all right to say that. Uh, affirming the truth and agreement to what's being said. And so Peter does that here. And ends that little portion there in verse number 11. Then we start in verse number 12. And you'll have to just give me a little. I'm not as gifted in alliteration as some people. uh, But it has helped me of late to keep my thoughts on track. And uh, so you'll have to give me a little bit of uh, leeway when I give you this next one. Uh, But it's appreciate the miserable. I told you you'll have to give me a little grace with that. Because really suffering for Jesus does not happen. But let me say this. Who likes suffering? Right? Oh God, here I am. Make me suffer. Now, you have uh, burned up too many brain cells to believe like that. Nobody enjoys that. Nobody uh, enjoys it in the sense of nobody's asking to suffer for God. Uh, But we know that we've been appointed to suffer. We know that's going to happen, right? Everybody that signed up and got on board with Jesus and repentance and faith in him and the gospel and believed him and they have uh, 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 submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ uh, and they are walking in the spirit trying uh, to live for Jesus uh, and has presented themselves as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is the only reasonable thing for anybody saved to do, uh, is going to eventually, in some point of their life, they're going to come into verse number 12, Brother Boniface talks about fiery trial. And notice how it says that. It says the fiery trial. That is different for everybody. Not every person goes through the same thing. Uh, some people, their fiery trials uh, vary in, in, in various aspects. Something that may bother you, Brother Nathan, may not really get to me. God deals with us as all children, but he deals with us in different ways, Right? I can raise my voice to Tyler when they were young, and but he'd straighten up like a soldier. I wouldn't have to raise my voice. I'd have to beat him to death. Now, don't look at me like I'm stupid. If you don't beat your kids, you're missing it. I'm joking. Please don't take that serious. They're all different. I mean, you can warn me. Brother Nathan, I don't know how many times I heard testimonies of people talk about sin and how it destroyed their life. It didn't affect me. I didn't care less what it had done to them. I was going to do what I was going to do. I was different. Uh, my brother was different than that. He was more like Tyler. Daddy could say something and he'd, he'd pretty much do it. You know? And so we're all that way as God's children. We're different. God deals with us all in the same sense that God deals with all of us. 
Right? He doesn't just neglect you and deal with you. Yes, no, God deals with all of us, but deals with all of us different. And so the fiery trial may be different for some. But I've watched people in their Christian lives, Brother Rupert, they've gone through and they did run well. But who did hinder you? You know that where he talks about that? And all of us can say it's probably at any length of time that we've been saved. We've come through a point and come to a point in our life when it seemed like we were going through a fiery trial. Now there may be many, but the Bible refers to this one in the singular sense of the fiery trial. There is something at some point in your life that's going to come your way that is meant to try you. And I've seen some, it seemed like, and if they were saved, that maybe that fiery trial ended up getting them. That's some of what Brother uh, uh, Turner was dealing with this morning. Uh, and bringing up doubts and fears and all of those things and uh, being tried in a fiery trial. Uh, he uh, references their fire and uh, we all know what fire's purpose is but uh, uh, we also know fire hurts, right? And so it's a fiery trial. It doesn't feel good. So starting in verse 12 uh, we'll begin to look at how that we need to appreciate I use that word knowing what I'm saying here because we do need to appreciate the miserableness of suffering. Now, uh, the, the misery of, uh, of sufferings and trials, we need to appreciate that. Why do I say that? Well, look at verse 13. But rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. And so he said there, what does he say at the very first of verse 13? He starts about a fiery trial, Taylor, and then he says, now rejoice about it. Is that not what he said? Think it not strange concerning a fiery child. When, you know what the first thing I see when people are going through something and they're on the verge of absolutely giving up? I mean, they've been tried. They've gone to the doctor. They've, they, they've gotten every prescription for every anxiety pill they can find. Uh, they've done everything. They've talked to everybody, talked to every preacher. They've done everything they can possibly do. And they finally come to the end and they're about to give up and quit. They've gone through that fiery trial. And one of the first things that comes to their mind is this word, this right here. Why me? Why is this happening to me? As though some strange thing was happening to them. Like no other Christian in all of the universe, the seven and a half billion people walking the earth today have never gone through coming to a crossroads in your life and having to choose God's will versus your will. Newsflash, you've been there. You're not lonely. You're not a special case. We've all been tempted. We've all been tried. We've all fiery trials and we've all uh, come to those places in our life and, and so don't think that you're some unique case that somehow uh, God chose to be mean to you ever, you ever been there so, so people, some people think that well God's just picking on me now you wouldn't say that but that's how some people act like they're about 12 God's not being fair to me hey there's some uncomfortable truths about God that's not very comfortable to think about I was talking to Tyler not long ago, talking about Job. All the chapters, and God said nothing to the poor man. Lost his family. Lost everything he had. And the first words out of God's mouth are, get up and act like a man. Now that's uncomfortable. I'm, I'd be saying, man, hey God, the man just lost his whole family. Where's the, where's the compassion? Where's the loving arms? I don't know. I can't explain those things. But God, Job was going through a fiery trial, which was to try him. And, uh, and he come through forth, forth like gold, didn't he? 
And we see the end of that thing. We don't see God being mean. We see the latter end of that and the pitiful and the mercy of God. How good God is. Isn't that something? Now, here's where I want to stop at. Right here, we're not going to go any further. Let's turn. We don't have a whole lot of time, but we've got a little bit of time here tonight. I want to go through and look at something, some things Brother Ben alluded to. Uh, and so turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. And why I'm going to Nehemiah, so we went to Romans 12 when we were dealing uh, with acting from the manifold. And now we're going to go and take a look at uh, a man named Nehemiah. And uh, I'm going to Nehemiah because, now think about in progression of what's been with here. These suffering pilgrims, these strangers are suffering persecution, trials, temptations, thorns, all kinds of various things in their life that they're suffering and they're trying to live for God. Right? These are, these are people, I mean, hey, this is the ones that are gathered here tonight. The ones gathered on Wednesday nights. The ones that are really trying to do something for God. Somebody trying to do something for God. I've heard somebody say this. It discouraged them. They said uh, to a certain person, said, all you've ever done is try to live for God. And God would allow this stuff to happen to you. And it discouraged them watching that situation unfold. You're not looking at it right. Right? You're not looking at it right. We, none of us deserve anything, right? I mean, none of us deserve uh, to be treated. There's no guarantees that you give your life for God. And in fact, if you try to do something for God, you can guarantee there's no opportunity without opposition. There'll be no winning without warfare. You're going, you, you will face opposition if you try to do anything for God. God. The devil is not fighting anybody that's sitting at home and is half in, half out, slippery, one foot on a banana peel, one foot on the door of the church. They're in and out, up and down. They, they, can't, they don't know if they're washing or hanging. Amen. The devil's not fighting that crowd. And they seem to prosper. They seem to be doing better than those that are really trying to. You're not looking at it right. You're looking at the results, and you're not looking at God. You're looking at it wrong. We're not in this thing for results, right? We're just in this thing to bring glory to God. The results are on Him, right? I can't save a sinner. I can't draw them with cords of love. I can't, I can't convict them. I can't illuminate the mind, right? I can't do none of that. That's God's business. And so uh, we see as we go through our Christian life, sometimes, as Brother Turner was dealing with this morning, it can get discouraging when you try to do something for God. And it seems like I was better off before I even tried. How many people took a big leap of faith and they stepped out by faith and they said, man, I want to be a blessing. They got stirred up and, and uh, I want to help God's church and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean the church. And uh, uh, I'm going to clean the church, and, and then in about, th it'll go good for about a month. But then after that, uh, because people are people, you know what's going to happen? Somebody's going to come along and go, boy, they didn't clean that very good, did they? Now, it's going to be people that, that wouldn't look at a snake if it was curled up to strike at them. They would never clean. But they sure know when you ain't cleaning right. Right? That's just nature of people. That don't just happen in Baptist churches. That happens at Walmart and where I worked at AT&T. And that works probably on the police force. And guys tell you how to do the job, but they would never do it, would they, Brother Nelson? Happens all over the world. So it's the nature of people. And so what, what happened then? Well, I tell you what, bless God, if they're not happy the way I do it, they ain't have it. Boy, God was in that, wasn't he? 
You don't have to get quiet in here. Come on, that's a, this is a normal family function. That's why I don't go to family reunions. Somebody's all tore up all the time. Hey, this is just the nature. This is what happens. Just you got to arm your mind. That's what he dealt with first off. If you're going to do something for God, you've got to arm your mind. That's what he very first dealt with, did he not? And then dealt with the progression of those other things. And now we've got to the place where we're going to exercise our gift. God's told us, here's what we're going to do. And here's what you better begin to ready your mind again. You're going to face opposition. So you've gone through Romans 12. Your bodies, I beseech you, for brother, by the mercy of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy sacrifice for God, which is your reasonable servant. And you go to that point and say, God, here I am. I'm an empty vessel. Use me for your glory. Okay? You're going to weed eat. Now, I'm going to be honest with the Lord. And I rather be like, Brother Reed, I don't like weed eating. I'll be honest with you. God give me two boys weed eat. And I'm going to tell you something. My boys love weed eating. If any of y'all need it done, they love it. That ain't so. That ain't so. I didn't get one eight men out of either one of them, brother. Eddie. They had to do what you've been doing for 40 years around here. Uh, so anyhow, so God, here's, God, here's, I, want, I just want to serve you, God. Here's what I'm going to do. Listen, God's not going to make everybody a prayer. And what you think, wouldn't it be wonderful to go out there and preach? Listen, no, it's not that wonderful, to be honest with you. It's, it's a calling, and I, I wouldn't trade it to be president of the United States, but it don't come with all the glory that you read about in books and see on TV. Right? And so, uh, what if God just called you? Uh, I mean, I think about Thane Jordan. I think about these other men that these ministries couldn't operate it had there, had there not been somebody willing to take the back seat, to not be recognized, and to enter into a prayer closet and just pray for God's church. Amen. That ministry's just as imp- probably more important than any preacher in a pulpit in America tonight is the man that will humble himself, deny himself, be the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much now I'm for preaching don't get me wrong but man if there ain't been no praying you're playing anyhow (laughs) it takes praying and it takes men behind uh, those uh, men preaching those men behind and the back uh, and and ladies too uh, praying for the man of God praying for the preacher and praying for those things what if God gave you that ministry so you've come to that place God do what Whatever you won't do with me. And God showed you where he wants you to be. And now you've come to place you. Lord, okay, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do that. God helped me to do it faithfully. And you've come down to all those verses. Now here's what he wants to tell you. And Because we're still talking about considering the warfare now. You've got to understand that when you start to take on a responsibility to do something, you are going to face opposition. And so this is exactly what happens to Nehemiah. We go back to Nehemiah, you see uh, Esther, you see uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. So you've got Ezra, the, the Babylonians have taken the Jews into captivity for 70 years. They're overtaken by the Persian Empire. And they're delivered, and the, and the Babylonians are taken over by the, per, the Persian Empire. And the is is recommending the Jews, he's encouraging them to go back to their land, right? And so immediately 50,000 take off, head back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Now they get started and they're going pretty good, but you know what happens? Now this is my message. They begin to face opposition. They get discouraged. The results aren't what they thought they would be. So what they do? They give up. They got the foundations built and that's all they got built with the temple. 
in the first part of Ezra, in the first six chapters. Then God raises up Haggai and Zechariah. God raises them up, raises those men of God, and the Bible talks about how they prospered under the preaching and how they went on and were encouraged. Then they got the temple bill. Then you've got 60 years transpires there after that after the building of that temple, and you've got the, the and, and which you've got what's described there in the book of Esther. And then by chapter 7 of the book of Ezra, by chapter 7, Ezra has been raised up by God and he's sent back to Jerusalem in order to uh, re-instruct them in the worship of God in the temple. And he does that for the remaining of the book of Ezra. Then Nehemiah, some, well it's been 90 years, it's been some 14 or 15 years after Ezra has returned back and they still have not rebuilt the, the walls of Jerusalem, but the temple's done. Uh, but the walls have still not been rebuilt. And so God raises up this man, Nehemiah. Now, we'll start there. Well, you're there. Did you beat me there? We're going to have to find it quick. All right. So we, uh, I even had it marked. That's a, those, these bookmarks are about like my notes. They don't ever get used. But they were good intentions. I set that with good intentions, brother. This is, this is, this is exciting to me. This is, because this is, this is a reality. This is no different. These Old Testament saints, here's what they, here is what they go through. It's the same thing as what we went through, although it's, it is different being on this side of the cross and the dispensation of grace. I understand it's a little different. But you can draw some references. You can draw some conclusions on the character of God and the character of people uh, by looking at the things that were written for our learning. Now, in Nehemiah chapter number one, the words of Nehemiah, uh, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month of in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, excuse me, <laughs> Hanani, Hanani, I just uh, wrote that in here. Um, it's actually Hanani, uh, uh, but uh, um, that's not important. One of my brethren came uh, and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province in great affliction and reproach. So now what's happened? So they come back, these men, along with uh, his uh, brothers, uh, assumingly here in uh, the first chapter, in these first few verses, and he inquires of them of what is going on down there in Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are affliction and reproach the, and reproach the wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire now let me say this and uh, just getting we're not going to get much of this done but I just want to start in here and pick back up here Wednesday night because it shows us some great truths and some realities about trying to do something for God God called this man to do a job he's called everyone to do a job is that not right? We all have jobs to do. Some of them are general. We all have to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. Right? That's the responsibility of everybody in here that's born again. 
We're all to perfect holiness in the fear of God. We're all to live separated. We're all to live holy. We are all to do those things. Those are all general. Then there's some particular. Brother Ben's been given a ministry to reach those in a certain part of the country, and that's his ministry. God's called him to. I'm pastor. Uh, Brother Reed's a deacon. Everybody has in particular in the will of God for their life a certain calling in their life of what they're supposed to accomplish. And the same goes for you as well. And God's called you to do something with your life, and it is to bring glory and honor to him in the purpose and way that he sees fit. Not your own will and what you want to do for God, because there's a lot of things that you can stir yourself up to want to do. There's a lot of good things that need done. That don't mean you need to be the one doing it, right? That's part of those gifts. Well, you know, that's part of the problem. Some people assert themselves into the places they want to be instead of letting God put them where he wants them to be. And they're miserable because they're out of the will of God. So anyhow, so you've got a calling, and here's what you're supposed to do for God. Well, here was Nehemiah's calling, so just follow with me. So God, uh, we've come, we've dealt with all these things, and I want to be used in the church. I want to do something in my life. I want to, and hey, can I say, the reason I say I want to do something in the church is because everybody ought to be a member of a Bible-believing, I believe, independent, fundamental, King James Bible-preaching church. Everybody. Any person or ministry or individual that is not under the headship and leadership uh, of a local uh, uh, church where Jesus Christ is ruling over them, where they can submit themselves to the authority of that church, they are completely out of the will of God. I don't care what they're doing. Write it down. I'll sign it. Mail it to whoever you want to. Woo! Wake up. Now, we all got something to do. God's called us to do something, and we're supposed to do something uh, in his church uh, because we're members one of another. And we're in this body together. None, there's no rogue agents in this body. God don't have a wild finger off here in left field. No, it's all attached to the body, right? <laughs> now, uh, so we're all members one of another, and so uh, we're operating together. I'm talking about this local assembly here now. We've all got, everybody's got a position. Everybody's got a part to play in the, in the ministry of Harriman Baptist Tabernacle. Everybody. So well, I'm not important. I wonder if I didn't show up, nobody would even notice. I can guarantee you I'd notice. And I promise you these other people in this church here would notice. Don't you let that devil lie to you. You, if you're a member of this church, you are important to this church. I don't care what anybody says. You may be the thorn, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Now, how important would that be? I'm just kidding. I didn't have to say that, did I, Brother Ray? Now, so here's, just follow me now. So God's raised up Nehemiah. We've got Ezra has done gone back. The temple's been rebuilt, and they come back. Now, I'm sure there's been some hearsay. Now, just follow my, I don't, I don't have much time. I'm just going to take, if you'll give me 10 minutes, I, I'm not going to keep you here longer than 10 minutes, by the grace of God. So now, follow with me now. So, the foundation was built. Hey, guys, Zechariah, they come through. The temple's been rebuilt. Ezra's come through, re-instructing, encouraging, helping in the worship of God. And then God raises up uh, Nehemiah. God calls Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah questions his brethren, questions these other Jews. What's, it, what's it really going on down there? And let me just say this. I have heard the testimonies, Brother Ben, of other preachers of what things used to be. I've heard some of you old timers tell me about how church used to be. You used to, you told, you've told me about how people used to get on conviction, how sinners would cry 
from the altars, how the church would be filled, how there was a fear of God, how the saints would shout and rejoice in the goodness of God. I've heard those things in so many times. I love hearing them. You can't tell me enough. I love it. But sometimes it gets weary not knowing for yourself what the reality of the situation is. You just hear it. You hear men preach and you hear people say that the situation's America, that, that America is, we are in dire straits, we're in a mess in this country. And you hear people preach that and you can hear it, but until you get to the place where your eyes are open, Holy Ghost, to see the factual reality of the destitute, the indifference, the, the, the lack of spirituality, the lostness, the deadness, the, the absolute tragic situation of the ruins of the walls, you'll never be awakened to a deep burning desire in your soul to get back and rebuild them. You've got to face the reality of the situation. Well, I want my family to get back to where they need to be. First thing you're going to have face the reality that your family's a mess and it's probably a mess because you got out of the will of God. That ain't being hurtful. I don't like to reveal too much about myself, but I say to a degree, I've been there. So what happened? None of your business. But I'm going to tell you something. You have got to face the reality of what's really going on. And I'm here to tell you, our churches, our country, our families, our people, they, we are in desperate need of people being filled with the Holy Spirit of God in our churches. There's such an indifference. There's not, we, listen, we're so blind to it now. We can't even face the reality of the ruins. We can't even see how bad off we are. There, there's people that really they, they they cannot see well I don't think it's that big a deal you don't think it's that big a deal that the majority of our young people if they're going to church at all are joining up with non-denominational ecumenical godless spiritless uh, heathenistic type ritualistic worship and these non-denominational messes and they just go and fill their little hearts with a little goodness and they have absolutely zero worship of God in the spirit is that not troublesome? Is it not troublesome that, that the way our young people are? But hey, that's one thing. Is it not troublesome that the average mom and dad doesn't care about it? Raising independent fundamental churches and you've got moms and dads that have used uh, nothing uh, but entertainment and, and, and social media and Hollywood to babysit and raise their children and then they can't figure out why they won't be faithful to God. We don't see how bad off we are. We have strayed so far away from the old paths. I'll tell you, we are so far away. The walls of our prayer time, the walls of our devotion, the walls of the testimony of our churches, the walls of our family devotions, walls, I'm telling you, they have absolutely crumbled and our nation and our churches and on an individual level, we are in dire need of revival of somebody get on fire for God, see the situation and have a burning heart to want to fix it. And if we're going to be concerned with the walls that concern us, the walls uh, that, that are concerned, the things that we're looking at and the things that we're concerned about, the first thing we're going to have to do is face the reality of where they are and why they are where they are. Because at the root of it is 
buckle up right here, men, at the root of it. <laughs> at the root of most of the problems in our families is a daddy that won't do right. It's not mama that won't pray with the kids at night before they go to bed. It's not mama that won't get up and do family devotions with his children. It's not mom that's not trying to lead them in the fear of God. And, and it's not mom that's not trying to. I'm saying in some situations, I'm sure it is. Uh, but uh, at, the, at the ultimate responsibility, whether it's mom or whoever it is, dad, God's going to hold you responsible for it anyway. So you might as well suck it up and put your big boy britches on and take the responsibility for the situation your family's in. That's good preaching, right? That'll help you. I'm not going to say that. I've still got a little bit of a filter left. I got a smile. Now, we got to go home. I got five minutes. I told you ten minutes. I got five minutes. Now, so, he gives them the reality of the situation. I'm sure he's heard all about it. It's one thing to see it on CNN. That's about, that's about a blasphemous word to use anymore. You might have seen it on Fox News. Does that make some of you feel better? They're all corrupt. Can I say that? They're all corrupt. I don't, from, there's no sound. A whole lot of them. But uh, so can I say this? So it, it's one thing when we, when we hear about the situation. And, and here's why I brought up some of these old timers. Because in their heart, I'd see them weep, Brother Ben. I'd see these old timers weep. What seemed to be a pretty good move of God to me, they were weeping over. Because they, they seen what God's ultimate purpose is. They see the gap between the church today and, and, and God's ultimate purpose. And it, they would weep over the lack of uh, just so many things, so, so many things. I, I, we don't even have time to go into all that. But the state of our, our families, our grandchildren, our children, uh, our loved ones, our church members, our, our people. I mean, brother, we've so convinced ourselves. Most, most, Baptists, most Baptists these days, they don't, the, the most time they spend in the Bible is when a preacher gets long-winded and preaches it to them. Half of them don't even bring one to church. They're not even going to read it along with the preacher. That's pitiful. I'm not trying to take nobody. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to preach. I'm trying to say, I don't think sometimes we realize just how bad off we are. We're, we're happy if our kids don't end up pregnant. End up, you know, just halfway decent. I'm telling you, I don't, I don't want to raise good kids. I remember an old preacher said that. It's one thing to raise good kids. I want to raise godly kids. I want kids that love God. They're sold out to God. And they're not dressing like I told them to because they have to. They're dressing and living and shouting and praising because that's what God put in their heart by the Holy Ghost. That's what I want for our young people. That's what I want for my children. And when you take a survey, when you survey the average uh, uh, church these days, uh, there's no burden for lost souls. There's no burden for lost souls. We're, we're not upset that nobody's here. We're more upset over the decorations, the carpets, the Bibles, the placement, the people, who's here, who's not here, what church member said this, what church member said that, if we're coming and going. We're so upset over the small things, there's not an ounce of concern that people are dying and going to a devil's hell and nobody's invited one to come. 
That's what I'm trying to say. I'm okay with all that. Listen, I've got I, I've got a backbone about like a saw log. Most of the time. You, I, I'm, not, don't, I'm not trying to tag nobody. What I'm trying to say is what burdens my heart more than anything is the fact that somebody's brain is on that garbage and not on sinners dying and going to hell. We just write a check and expect men like Brother Ben to win them. Hey, you know what those walls were supposed to be? Isaiah said those walls were salvation and those walls were praise. They were an emblem. Now, those walls have been used for separation in the sense of how you dress, how you talk, how you act, where you go, and those separation. But I want to say this. It was an emblem. It was a mark to a lost and a dying world that dwelling inside was a people that loved God and was a people that was saved by the grace of God and had the joy and shout and praise of their heart and were worshiping God in spirit and truth. It was an emblem of a fortress. It was a shelter of the people. It was, it was a comfort. It was a joy. Those walls were an emblem and a representation of the strength and the praise and the salvation. What those things would be, and they were all crumbled. That's what's crumbled around us to the lost and world, dying world. They don't see. They don't see the mark of love on the average Christian heart. What most of us want when we go to church is to get stirred up emotionally, and if we felt pretty good, we felt like God moved that day, <laughs> right? Just motion. And I'm motion. Thank God for emotion. I love it. I like to feel good. You got to say amen to that. It's okay. We're not saved by feeling, but I enjoy some coming with some feelings. Now, so here we go now. We got So Nehemiah knew what those walls were to be. He knew the Word of God. And uh, he knew what they were supposed to be. And he's getting a report that they're all in ruins. And men and women, church, if we don't take a survey, here's, here's what most of us do. I, I, I'm saying most of us in all sincerity. This is not a false humility. I've done this, brother. In my heart, I've done it. I've compared us to other churches. Come on now. The Bible says you compare yourselves among yourselves, which is not wise. And so if we're not doing as bad as so-and-so, we feel like we're doing all right. But if you look in the light of this glorious, preserved, precious Bible, we are so far from the mark most of the time. Now, this is not an attack of our church. Please, please don't. Well, preacher, I guess we're not good enough. I'm not trying to attack anybody. I'm just trying to look at the reality of the situation. We're, we're so far. People are so deceived. They don't see the ruins of their own life. They don't have an ounce of fruit for God. And they'll argue to their blue in the face that they're saved. They've not surveyed the reality is your whole life lay in shambles and ruins. And that's where most of our churches are these days. Just a memory of what they used to be. And so we've come to the place where we're just going to hang on till Jesus comes, occupy till he comes. And we use verses like that to occupy a spot till Jesus comes. Hey, church, I don't know about you. But I, I'm telling you, God stirred my heart. I want, to get, I want to do whatever I have to do in my position to rebuild the walls and honor God with what we're supposed to do. Now, don't take that merely on its surface. There were a lot more people at one time inside those walls than the 50,000 that were there. Now. 
So we're not talking about numbers and all that stuff. We're just talking about doing what the Bible said and honoring God. Our lives shine like a testimony. Don't you want that? Don't you, don't you want your life, the, 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 the testimony, those walls around you? Blessed are they which keepeth their garment. That's not the man. That's the robe that surrounds him. That's his testimony. Those walls are a testimony. Don't, 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 you want, don't you want your life to be surrounded by those walls of praise and salvation to a lost and a dying world? That inside that, that old flesh dwelleth. Do you? I don't know about you, but I want to make a difference in these days. And the first step, the first step, I don't know what you're, what you're looking at in these days. If you're looking at it as a church, if you're looking at the nation, if you're looking at it on an individual level in your own life, you're going to have to first accept responsibility and look at the facts of the situation. Let's read it, and we're done. I went three minutes long, and I said, I said by the grace of God. I didn't lie. Just read it, and we're going home. And they the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Now, Wednesday, we're going to start into this thing with his prayer, and we're going to begin to look. And, and uh, so if you want to, that's where we'll be at Wednesday. So if you want to go in there Wednesday and look with me and follow along uh, and read ahead, that's where we'll be a little bit. We'll, we'll kind of be back in 1 Peter 4 some, but mainly in Nehemiah. Look at what he does in verse 4. It came to pass when I heard these words, I sat down and wept. Now, I'm going to tell you something, folks. We are weeping. We ought to be weeping over the situation that we're in. Individually. We are so far from where we ought to be with God that you'd about, just nearly about have to pay somebody to testify about how good God's been to them. We ought to be chomping at the bit wanting to tell folks how good God's been. Yes. But that's how far we've drifted. And I think we, we think, we think we're all right. But you, you look back at where you used to be. And I'm not even talking about just where you used to be. Look, look where you should be, I guess would be the better way to, 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 to look at it. And, um, and, uh, and the first thing he did was before he could even begin to rebuild, he wept over the ruins. And that... It's just so enlightening to me that if we don't first take real serious inventory and it affects us down to where we at least weep over it. Let me ask you this, and we're going home. When's the last time you even shed a tear over a lost person? When's the last time you, you shed a tear over a burden? Can I be honest with you? And I'll just use myself. It's been a little while. It's been a little while. I've shed some emotional tears over myself. I'm a pretty selfish fellow like that. But no, I mean talking about getting under a real burden to see somebody saved. What about some of you young people? Do you know how far you've drifted? Does it bother you? Are you concerned? When's the last time you shed a tear over a lost man, lost woman? Lost boy, lost girl. Boy, we need our tears back. Weeping. We're in ruins. We're in trouble. And they that sow in tears, right? Lord, we love you. Thank you for the good word of God. Help us as we go through these books and these chapters of your precious word that we'd rightly divide them. 
And that, Lord, you would work. I'm telling you, Lord, we need our tears. Eyes are way too dry. We won't even weep of the ruins of the daughters of our people. Lord, the the ruined lives of people we've seen walk away from God. We've not even made an attempt to we that are spiritual restore such a one as the spirit of meekness consider ourselves. We've not even made an attempt at it. It's not even really bothered us that much that they're not here anymore. We're kind of used to it. We're in trouble. Lord, we need you. Please burden our hearts, burden our people to see this church thrive and to be a testimony for God. Win sinners, Lord, and see souls saved. And let us go on for the glory of God. Lord, we love you. If there be anybody here lost tonight, may they repent and believe on the Lord Jesus. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for putting us in the ministry, giving us gifts. Help us to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll have a verse. If you need to come, you come on.